G'day, Spencer. Hey, Jimmy, how are you doing? Mate, really well. Thank you very much for your time. So before we get into exactly how we think that Americans are going to fall in love with the greatest game of all, how on earth did a 16-year-old in New York City fall in love with the greatest game of all? Well, it has been quite a long time since I was 16, and uh, the PhD is nearly finished. I'm waiting for the examiners. But late night TV, I was just flipping through the channels, and there was this game. And I said, this is fantastic. I like this. I have no idea what it is, but it was enough to get me hooked. Yeah, right. Okay. Do you have any idea about what it was? So there you are sitting there as an American 16-year-old, had no exposure to the game previously. Do you remember exactly what it was about the game? Because that might help inform us about what's going to appeal to Americans uh, coming up for round zero. Well, you know, I have to say that the game was quite different. This was in the late 90s uh, when I was watching. We still had just adjusted to a 10-meter retreat from 93. We were still scrummaging. It was post-Super League War. Um, for me, what really attracted me to the game was that the ball stayed in play and that we consistently saw the ball moving. It, was, it wasn't a 40-second stoppage between each play the ball or snap as we would view it. But I think the game has evolved so much from that time that the most important thing is, as opposed to myself who was just up late at night and saw something really unique and really cool that I latched onto, it's about understanding a way to explain the game to Americans. I mean, we make the joke about Jack Gibson saying same game, different rules, but it was only meant to be a joke. And what we should be doing is looking at ways to explain the game that in a way that Americans already understand in terms of the gridiron. Why don't we have a short five foot eight guy as a running back? Why do we have big guys instead running hit ups as just a very you know simple example? Because if we want people to get involved, we don't have to perfectly understand all the rules, but we do need to understand the similarities and differences so we can enjoy it as best as possible. Okay, based on that then, out of interest, should should the Australian broadcasters have an American voice in there that can relay that? Because I'd, I'd imagine that they're going to use all those broadcasts uh, that go into the America uh, doing that, you know, Americanising the, the broadcast. Well, you know, I know a guy very well. Uh, he's on the line now, so I would not be opposed to that. But I do think that there is actual merit to it and not just a self you know, promotion here. I think that it's so crucial. We're not a global brand. And I do say we because, yes, I do referee rugby league down here. Uh, and I have been involved with the game and many other aspects of it on and off the field. But there is a certain reality that rugby league is not a global game like soccer, nor does the NRL have a global footprint like the NFL. So we can't really be using those as, you know, business models in which we would like to copy because we don't have the overlap. And it was quite interesting. I was watching some rugby league before the end of the season with a friend of mine who doesn't watch. And for me, I find the game very intuitive. But it was interesting for me. And he's, you know, Australian, but <laughs> from Victoria. And it, it mm. wasn't as intuitive as I would have assumed to, uh, it to be. So if that, were the, if that is the case for Victorians, how much more the case is that for Americans? Yeah, good point. Uh, before we get to, you know, how do we sell it to the Americans? What are the things that we need to do? And we've explored some of them already. Tell me about the PhD. How, how did that one come about? What, what, what's the title? The Americanization of Rugby League since 1895 and keen students of the game who recognise that it wasn't around before 1895. Absolutely. It's quite interesting. One of the things that I like to compare as well, first of all, the uh, PhD uh, first started with a, a gentleman by the name of Sean Brawley, who's a professor uh, at the time at Macquarie and now in uh, university uh, down at uh, Wollongong, um, though I am based down here and. 
I've had a great team with Hans Westerbeek and with Tony Collins, both phenomenal professors. Um, Tony's known for his rugby league research very specifically. Um, but the idea of rugby league being a finished product is more, I think, uh, not in recent era. We're so used to rules changes, but from an Australian perspective, exponentially more common because when it arrived in 1908 here, the game already had to play the ball reintroduced from pre-split rugby, which was abandoned in 1878. So the English had been looking at it as a fluid aspect because essentially from 1895 to 1906, it was the same as rugby union, but for the fact that players were getting paid. But rugby league did something unique. It decided not to look towards other codes within the UK as much, and it did start to look towards the US and Canada, uh, which needs to be fairly acknowledged as well, because there was this idea that maybe there was a lack of alignment with values and professionalism, not in the sense of we talk it today, but just fair income payment towards players that those that could afford to miss work on Monday shouldn't be the only people allowed to play. Uh, yeah. But it's not really until we see the introduction of a four tackle rule in 66 uh, based loosely on the four downs rule uh, from American football that we start getting a dialogue. Terry Fernley brings second effort to Jack Gibson. Jack Gibson wants to go over and meet Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi's already dead by the time they get there. So they end up with the 49ers. Um, it's a part of a larger continuum of the rugby league culture that we see this adjustment and evolution from just simply sport for sport's sake, but also for enter- entertainment's sake for those watching. Yeah, right. Okay. Is that right that the four tackle rule came in and it was four tackles because of the four downs of gridiron, which then I think it was two years later, uh, Spencer, that they then changed it to six downs or six tackles as we know it now. You got the digit correct. It's two, but it's 1972, so uh, six years later. Ah, um, ah. The, what we forget is, in also explaining this to Americans, it's quite crucial that we understand that six tackles is actually five downs, just like four tackles is actually three downs. Oddly enough, Canadian gridiron, which never added the fourth down, like American football, is still a three-down game, and their grand final, called the Grey Cup, is going to be this Monday morning at 10 a.m., so... Uh, another piece of interest for those who would like to see where we came from and how we branched off of different trees in the oval ball world. But um, it was based on this idea. So the English mentality of uh, offensive or attack-based attrition on the opposition that we see very commonly in rugby union, that we definitely see in soccer, um, I believe it was uh, the late uh, uh, Duke of Edinburgh who said in the 1950s about rugby league that it was the most boring game ever, the unlimited tackle structure, because it was so hard to turn the ball over. So the idea of a limited tackle, use it or lose it American mentality in the form of a four tackle and then shortly thereafter six tackle application became vital to creating rugby league as we understand it today. Yeah, so Dragons fans, 1956 to 1966, 1966 change of rules. They win one more comp and then it's more evenly spread from that point forward. I wonder if we can join the dots on that one. I just want to ask you um, two questions. The first one is, what's the greatest opportunity? What's the bit, What's the thing, the, the parts, the people of rugby league that's going to sell best to Americans? I think it's the frequency of the ball movement that there are no breaks and that the product of rugby league in its current stage is similar enough to American football and Canadian football for that matter, that it will be easy enough to digest if explained the right way. 
Nobody, okay. I mean, we joke around about rugby union being, you know, chess to rugby leagues checkers or drafts, which I disagree with heavily, but I've never heard somebody who supports soccer complain that their game is too simple so the whole world understands it. So it's certainly not something that we should be complaining about either. It's, it's an asset. Uh, yeah, totally. All right. The opposite. What's the thing that Americans are going to struggle most with or maybe not appreciate the most? I don't think they're going to fully appreciate the amount of cardiovascular athleticism and the physicality of the hit-ups. They will appear to be very redundant and very almost overly done. We have to understand that when we're in the yardage area of the field, we do see lots of hit-ups because it is the job of that forward to smash the defensive line, to get them exhausted physically, to confuse them as to where they're going, and to get out of a highly precarious area of the field. But for an American football uh, follower, they would be used to more of a blend between having run and pass to essentially advance the ball, even within our own yardage area of the field. Uh, For those not familiar with the terminology, that's within one's own 40-meter line. Um, So it's going to be hard for uh, Americans to understand why we keep running those hit-ups in that aspect of the field. And there is a risk that they may become bored and say this is just a a meathead sport with guys just running head-on into collisions. When we know it's not, it's actually highly tactical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's a bit like cricket, right? Try and explain the nuances of cricket um, to someone who hasn't seen the game before. Hey, Spencer, we've got to go. We've got to get ourselves to a break. But it was fantastic to chat, mate. Um, I would love to have you on again before we go with this great American uh, experiment. So um, appreciate it today. But if you're open to coming on again, that would be fantastic. That would be my pleasure, and I can't thank you enough for having me on. You do so much great work with the sport, and beyond that, it would be my pleasure.